Welcome to Thinking Beyond, Conversations with Strategic Thinkers. I'm David Flint, and I am here with my co-host, Joan Quintana. Howdy, Joan. Howdy, Dr. David Flint. (laughs) Always got to slip that doctor in there, don't you? We also have our producer here, Will. Howdy, Will. So here we are again on our podcast, having a conversation with somebody who is a very strategic thinker and uh, is using our V-Real framework to help them think strategically. So who do we have as a guest today, Joan? So today our guest is Miss A.J. Reynolds. She is the new executive director of Voices for Children of the Brazos Valley. That is a training organization for court-appointed special advocates. So her organization, Voices for Children, works with the children who are in the foster care system, or, or more accurately, works with the volunteers who work with the children in the foster care system. I haven't known AJ for very long, but I have been very impressed with her. And as I have learned more about Voices for Children and the Corn Appointed Special Advocates, or CASA, program, which is a national program, I have been very impressed with the issues that they deal with, how they grapple with those issues, and the services that they provide to our communities. And it's pretty, actually a little bit amazing how much they do with very little. It's true, and we'll hear about that in your conversation uh, with AJ, but just to kind of prep for that so people know they're going to be hearing and what we'll be talking about, especially in the context or thinking in terms of the V-Real framework. You know, AJ is, as you said, she's a real strategic thinker. Her background is in actually strategic communication. She has a master's there, so she's been taught and, and definitely thinks very strategically. So in the conversation, that'll be obvious. She, you can tell she thinks this way, but she, as she's gotten familiar with the V-Real framework, she's come to realize how valuable it is to her to use that framework, both in thinking about the strategy for Voices for Children, but also in how she engages with her various stakeholders. And, you know, when we talk about, David, we often have talked about not-for-profits and how challenging it is for not-for-profits. So Very challenging. Yeah. You know, a not-for-profit is dealing with a variety of different stakeholders for whom they must create value in several different ways. And I think that will become very apparent as we talk to AJ today. So if we have not-for-profit leaders out there or even board members who support not-for-profits, I think you'll see a lot of of familiar themes come through in the conversation between AJ and, and Dr. David Flint. So let's listen. Okay. AJ, you're back here. You're a, you're a guest on my podcast. I am. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So we spoke not too many days ago and, and quite a lot about using Be Real for Voices for Children, also potentially for you as an individual. And I think you left having quite a few things to think about or at least mull over. So what I wanted to do to start is simply give you an opportunity to talk about maybe some of the things that you have been thinking about, what maybe be real sparked inside of your thoughts between then and now. Sure. I think since our conversation, which I I really enjoyed being able to talk about strategy with an expert, one of the things was the value, like where where are we creating value? And I think I covered that that nonprofits are charged with creating value in a lot of different areas. Um, but the one thing I didn't mention, but that you did, were our donors. How are we creating value for our donors? And so thinking about that in the last few days, and and how we're really 
strategically creating value for our donors. What does that look like? I've thought about a lot. And then because I am a fairly strategic thinker and I know the 20 year plan ahead of time. And that came across really well. Right. <laughs> really, really needing to focus on the eroding factors though as well, not just growth and, and where we're going, but um, what, what potential is there right now that could erode our ability to provide the services that we we do and that was the infrastructure and then staff policy issues staff retention that kind of stuff backing up just a little bit thinking about the donors as somebody for whom you need to create value why was it that that leaped out at you or what was different about thinking of it through a v-real framework I think that with Voices for Children, we've been really lucky to have some major donors and grants that we can rely on, but I think stopping to make sure that they have a good understanding of, of what we're doing and how we're using their funds I think is important, but also as we grow, looking at new donors that, you know, how are we going to establish that relationship again and again and again so that we're creating value for new people because the, you know, donors that were here in the beginning aren't going to be here 50 years from now. And what does that look like uh, as far as our plan and what we do on a daily basis in, in order to create value for donors? New donors, old donors, they, they are a different set, but it really got me thinking about how strategically we are going to create that value for, for new donors. Mm -hmm. I do think that not-for-profits, in many respects, have a more complicated value proposition. You know, it's not about just providing a service to a client base. It is about satisfying these other very important stakeholders, donors, governmental bodies, which you have to deal with as well. So, you know, hats off to you for, <laughs> for beginning to think about that because that is tricky. You know, you, you mentioned the, the human factors as being potentially eroding factors. And I, I do want to give you the opportunity to talk about how you fit into that because we actually spent quite a lot of time talking about how you fit into that. You know, you being a key human resource to make the value of Voices for Children actually work. So what have you thought in regard to you and, and your V-Real fit into all of this? I think it's a, a lot of responsibility as a, I was explaining this to my grandparents last, last night actually, the responsibility of being a leader in the nonprofit world in a, I wouldn't necessarily say this is a small community, but it's small enough mm -hmm. that. Well, but you're, you're going to be expanding into all these counties as well. Right, right. The responsibility to manage myself within the organization and personally in order to walk the line of, of being able to manage it all is, is really important and that I'm looking at what eroding factors there are with me, how I'm creating value, you know, for myself and this organization, and then also what expectations I have for, like, our board of directors. How, what do I need from them and letting them, communicating that to them is another process, but I think that there's still a lot of work to be done. We have a great organization, but I want to build it to where I can step away and it, it is just as strong mm -hmm. with or without me. And that is my goal, basically succession mm -hmm. planning. Figuring out how to make the organizational longevity right. 
last longer than your longevity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we want you to go anywhere. We right. Don't no, want you to no go. plan to go anywhere for sure. <laughs> um, but but how do I build that in at the same time as you know all the other moving parts? You know, you you said something about your board of directors, and I know that in our conversation before, that was a a key point that kept coming up over and over. Have you thought about how V-Real might help you with your board of directors in terms of perhaps communicating key issues that they need to to be aware of and understand? Definitely. So I've learned as an executive director, every month we have a board meeting and it's it's my job to give them a presentation of everything that's gone on in that month. And I've played around with different types of presentations, agendas, sending it out early, trying to get the board more engaged and knowledgeable about the day-to-day efforts of the organization, and as well as planning ahead. And I think V-Real gives us a good framework that we can use as far as, okay, let's look at, at where we are with all of these aspects and what do we need to focus on? Where are we out of balance? And can't wait to show Show oh, the board. Um, I think it'll be very helpful, actually. When would that happen? I mean, relatively soon? or I would say probably our next board meeting is in, in a couple of weeks, probably in the de- December one. I'm in the process of uh, we have a, several new board members from outer counties, and we're assigning committees and, and all kinds of stuff. But as soon as that is settled, I think it'll be exciting for, for the board to have a new kind of framework of how to look at the organization and how to plan ahead. Well, I'm happy to kibitz with you a little bit about that before that meeting if you want to, um, you know, maybe help you frame the way that you're going to talk about some things and, and use the vocabulary in the framework to do that. Okay, backing up to you a little bit, have you identified some things where you think that, I don't want to say, you know, the old cliche of killing two birds with one stone. But things that you can do in regard to increasing your personal value and avoiding your personal eroding factors that are going to just be very helpful for Voices for Children as well. I mean, in the grand sense, everything that you do to protect yourself helps. But I mean, you know, any sort of two-for-one Sure. I would say this is probably common among people who are very driven is that it's been hard for me to think of where I can cut things that I'm doing in order to be protective of of my health or my capacity, you know, to to get everything done. The focusing on that concept, the eroding factors really stuck in my head for the for the most part, things that I need to focus on because I'm a fairly optimistic person and I see challenges. I mean, it's exciting. I always have to be challenged. That's the type of person I am. And so I see it all as an opportunity, and it's invigorating for me. But if I don't focus on what may be eroding or what if, if something happens, uh, the risk factors of my personal life as well, it's going to stop my professional life. <laughs> so, But figuring out where to cut corners when I, I just don't want to um, is important you know, to consider, but that difficult old, to. Yeah, the old ability to say no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's turn that a little bit and say then, okay, what are the most important enabling issues that you're beginning to think about that will enable you to avoid the eroding factors for you and the organization? I think the enabling factors. 
to me, it is understanding where I am, my position, our position, our organization. There's a huge learning curve for somebody who comes from the program side of things, the legal policy and and managing volunteers and all of that. I have a great grasp on on the financial side. It's been a, a learning experience to to get into the financials and what has been done, you know, in the in the past and what best practices are and what enables me is is really education, just learning, you know, the best way to do things and and participating in things like this. Also having conversations, seeking out mentors and having conversations with other professionals because in nonprofit world, I can't be an expert on everything, but it is all on my shoulders. So something that can enable me is just seeking out opportunities to learn more um, instead of having my head buried in, you know, case file or QuickBooks. <laughs> it also sounds to me like developing some good relationships with people who have knowledge and expertise that you don't have. So in thinking about all of this, at this point, what are you thinking is the most important aspects of creating value, both for Voices for Children and for yourself? So the most important aspects of creating value, to me, it has to be genuine and sincere. I'm not a salesperson, but because I truly believe in what I do and the value that CASA brings to the community for several people, I can sell it to anybody. I think integrity and sincerity to me is the greatest aspect of creating value for people. That's really interesting. I mean, you know, because you're providing all of these services that are very sort of tangible, real things, and yet you see integrity and sincerity as being the absolutely critical parts. That's interesting. Why? I think I've had a lot of training, thankfully, in bias, racism, institutional issues, poverty. The work that we do as CASA, we are given a lot of power in the court system. And I think it's very important that we come at this problem of filling a need in the child welfare system, protecting the interest of children who don't have a voice. We need to be very sincere in our efforts to help the problem and not, not necessarily solve it, but to do a good job, do our due diligence in, in anything. Um, we have to, have to be open-minded, act with integrity, and like I said, do our due diligence to make best efforts to do a, a, a great job at what we do. And that takes being humble, being very sincere. I need our staff, our volunteers, our board members. If you're not here for the right reason, I don't want you here. And so that's where the integrity comes in, seeing how to measure that, how to hire, how to evaluate what we're doing. And then it makes decisions fairly easy, but it, it's hard to teach. It's hard to recruit and manage, but it is very important. I think it's far more common than a lot of people realize that those intangible human qualities that you can't escape. I mean, they're just going to be there because we're people and we're human and we've got these things, but how important those things are, no matter how how much your process is in place or how efficient you are or anything like that, that 
that intangible connection and trust and relationship becomes just absolutely critical to people believing that you are creating the value that you're supposed to create. And so, yeah, once again, you're kind of at the focal point there, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Can't get away from that. (laughs) I hope you haven't felt, since we talked, I hope you haven't felt like the world suddenly more on your shoulders than usual, but... (laughs) No, but I have thought a, a lot about the need to really instill that into my staff and it just trickles down. I, I believe I've heard the, the concept of parallel processing, the way I treat the people that I supervise and the way they, you know, it trickles all the way down to the children is what I try to remember. How I act or how I treat my own children, the people in my personal life needs to be the same. I don't differentiate between human beings in my work life and my personal life. I want to instill that, but also figure out what questions I need to ask to make sure that that is a quality that is being trickled down all the way to the volunteer and child relationship. I think that, you know, spreading myself a little too thin or making sure I, because of the fact that I carry that weight on my shoulders, I I am very in tune to everything that this organization does and, and everything it touches. And I feel the responsibility of that, that I need to transfer that responsibility, you know, down to the rest of the staff and the board members. And and to me, that's a communication and a connection issue. We have to build trust and and create value, but and always be monitoring those, you know, eroding factors. I mean, it all it all works. You're putting words to what I feel like I need. I need it. I know I feel I I value, um, but it's giving it a framework which is great because it gives me a way to communicate it. At this point, do you have any questions that have arisen that you would like to chat about with me? I think communicating to our board and our our staff and even potential donors, you know, how how would you recommend to to start implementing this? Like I know it's a great idea. V-Real makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's you know, framework to use, but the the starting off point, bringing it up, whether it's in a board meeting or or strategically through our executive committee, you know, how do how do you what what would your strategy be? <laughs> well, not knowing the individual personalities on your board and everything, I I hesitate to make a really firm sort of a, a recommendation here. But let me let me tell you what immediately comes to mind. If you have some board members that you know tend to be good strategic thinkers already, you might want to have a conversation with them before you introduce it to the board at large in order for them to understand what you're going to do and perhaps if they're already good strategic thinkers, they will very quickly, like you did, go, oh, yes, this could be very useful. The reason I would suggest that is because if you've got people that can quickly understand and buy in, then that will make it easier in terms of communicating to everybody else. Right. You know, you'll you'll essentially have allies. And if you can do that, I just think it would make the the process in the long run smoother. In terms of 
trying to, you know, formally sort of educate them about that. You know, at, at some point, we'll have hard copy books that you could hand to them, and that would make the process go a little bit easier, which will be soon, actually, mm-hmm. very soon. But I, I, I wouldn't necessarily try and turn it into a class, okay? I would try and frame it more in the normal discussions that you have, but begin to put it into the framework as you have those discussions. And if you have communicated with those key board members that you know would probably get it and and use it quickly and everything like that, they can then help that process happen. Any other questions? Can we talk about maybe some examples of, since I said, you know, I have trouble figuring out ways to, you know, as a fairly driven person, make time or space for making sure I'm creating value for myself. I think that's where I need help, honestly, when I find value in, in working myself crazy. The first thing that leaps to my mind is is you need an enabler. <laughs> and I, I don't want to use that in a negative sense, you know, like it can be. But, mm-hmm. but you need somebody who is an enabling force for you in a positive way. And maybe it's somebody's, not somebody, but you run Voices for Children, you need a voice for you. (laughs) Somebody who can say, hey, how are you doing? Are you doing too much? Maybe, you know, have the hard conversations from time to time of saying, really, let's, let's think about this. That would be my first recommendation. I mean, you know, you, I can tell just from our interactions, you know, you're a very thoughtful person. You're a very strategic person. You're a very motivated, you know, internally driven person. And so you can do, of course, some of that for yourself. But I don't think any of us can be as objective as we need to be at times. And so, you know, having people that you give permission, that you trust enough, that you have those relationships with, to have those tough conversations with you would be a very good thing. Yeah, I think um, I mentioned when we first talked that that's something that either people think I don't need or I wouldn't listen to, and I would say that's what I need the most. I'm I'm perfectly self-sufficient. I'll make it fine, but people may be scared. So giving them (laughs) permission, honestly, uh, is a good thought. And connecting with my board, um, I've had some a few conversations with board members my board is great and letting them know that yes I'm capable of doing this job and anything I don't know I will figure it out but I want people watching me I want them critiquing what I'm doing or and asking questions and even for them to hear that and some board members were kind of taken aback like well that's interesting that you really want us looking harder at what you do and I said I do so letting letting people have or giving permission for them to do that when I'm probably come across as a pretty hard, self-sufficient person that doesn't need a lot of help. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting here thinking a little bit about your board and about Be Real and about what we've just been talking about of giving people permission to have hard conversations with you. How do you see Be Real helping that process along of helping your board and being valuable to your board is it just vocabulary or it will it help them think or will it give them permission to talk to you about these things or you know what 
what's at play there with your board, do you think? I think kind of all of it, but also realizing that even when you have a, a very capable person, you know, something could happen to me as well. And that doesn't have to do with me wearing myself out. You know, it it's, anything could happen. So I think having the conversation about be real and dif- different aspects of what, what we should be paying attention to and, and prioritizing, I think it would help the board to, to make sure that they're not putting too much, not too much work on me, but too much value on one person. Yeah, over-reliance. Basically. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if it will also, I mean, if, if you really get them kind of in that be real mindset, I wonder if it will kind of help them feel like they have permission Mm-hmm. to talk to you about what you want them to be able to talk to you about. Right. Yeah, I think so. Again, the, the connecting principles, having a large board, you know, managing the voices of um, a diverse, we have a really diverse group as well. Some have been around since the beginning and some are fairly new and some are fairly quiet or more knowledgeable, less knowledgeable about the law or legal system and, 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 it's a lot of factors at play, and if we can all get on the same kind of vocabulary and strategy, you know, I think that will help bring more voices out and have a more lively conversation about, you know, the, the organization and what, what we're doing and where we're going. Any other questions in, in my direction? Can you talk a little bit about how you, you use it in your life? <laughs> Well, that would be a long conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, since we're doing these podcasts, people are going to probably pick that up in pieces from here and there. But (laughs) I, you know, I understand why you're asking that question because we talked so much about how to apply it to your life. So in a very brief answer there, it is kind of the way that I think about pretty much the world at this point, because in my head, the Be Real framework has been running for so long. And so I kind of continually just have this, you know, where am I creating value and what are the eroding factors and what enablers do I need and, you know, what's the longevity of this particular aspect of my life or this particular role that I'm in. So it's kind of in a constant loop inside my head, you know, just kind of going around and around and around. So I I am very aware at times that, you know, oh, okay. You know, something needs to change here. Um, There's an eroding factor that I wasn't paying enough attention to or something new has arisen. And in terms of, you know, the enabling factors in life, making sure that the fundamentals are there. And then, of course, what needs to be added or taken out, depending on how circumstances are changing, is, is done as well. So, you know, that's a very brief kind of general answer. But it is something that, just is kind of running in my head all the time. You know, even if I don't articulate that to people because, well, frankly, you know, if I walked up to somebody on the street and say, <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of those big eroding factors in my life, they'd go, what? <laughs> you know, so I don't know if that's satisfying to you as, as an answer, but. Sure. I think my sense of curiosity has been helpful and I like asking questions too and I think it's important um, the better I understand people how they work and why they do what they do it's it's interesting I can turn around and interview <laughs> you too um, so it's just important to me 
I think the longevity aspect, that's something, you know, I neglected to, to talk about is I know I have an idea of, of where we'll hit our capacity as voices for children and where we can responsibly stop in our coverage. And that's, you know, a few years down the road. And then, but I automatically started thinking, well, okay, well, if we get all of that done, what is even the next step? after that other than just providing the service or is that good enough you know having those conversations that's a lot of work has to be done before we get to the point that I want to be and I want our organization to be but um, even thinking beyond you know the next decade what does that look like and how can we get there and I think you identified early on in our conversation today the fact that you know, your donor base is going to have to change. It's going to have to expand. And and being able to communicate effectively to existing donors, potential donors, uh, about the value and the rareness behind Voices for Children and the CASA program and, you know, what needs to be in place, I think is, is going to be critical to the eventual let's say, I don't want to say forever, but very long-term life of Voices for Children in this community. do want to give you an opportunity before we officially wrap up here to talk about Voices for Children, to talk about, you know, what you're doing in the community, what what are some of those long-term plans that you hope for, you know, kind of educate the listening people here about Voices for Children and what you're doing, because it's a good thing. Sure, it is. So, Voices for Children, we're very lucky to be under the umbrella of, of being a CASA program. And that, that's one thing that, that I inherited that is we have, we're part of a brand, um, a nationwide brand of organizations that have been vetted by, you know, the court system. And it's, it's donors are aware of, of the brand of CASA and it's a, a it's been around since the 70s but for those who don't know CASA stands for court appointed special advocates and voices for children is the local CASA program here and we serve several counties but our goal is to serve every county surrounding Brazos County including Brazos County we recruit and train volunteers to serve as a guardian ad litem which is a legal term but but we're appointed by judges. So the rareness of, of what we do, it's very specific, but it's it's kind of in the background of uh, we're not out in the public. Actually, our volunteer role is, is very confidential and very important, and we, we allow a lot of access. Our volunteers are given basically free access to to information and, and to people involved in, in a very critical time in a child's life uh, when something has happened and something has to be done that involves the legal system for them. And I was very surprised at really how few people are doing so much work. Right. I mean, the numbers you gave me were a little surprising. Right. So we were appointed to 100% of the, the children in Brazos County, but we have a staff of, of 10. Brazos County, Burleson County, Grimes, Leon, Madison, and, and soon more, hopefully. We have a very small staff, and we're very dependent on volunteers. And so the value that the volunteers, most of our volunteers, well, I'll say CASA volunteers, one attribute that, that is very common is that they, they don't need the recognition 
So creating value for those volunteers is making sure that they're well-educated and they have the tools that they need to advocate in schools and foster homes with parents and in the court system. So that's what they value, being able to give a voice to, to children. But giving them awards or recognizing them in the community is oftentimes not what CASA's value. Uh, for those who know CASA volunteers, they are some of the most sincere people with the highest amount of integrity in the community. And they don't really talk about being a CASA volunteer. So it is the value that they, they receive. They know that they're making a difference. And they see it, and they take it very seriously. So, of course, we couldn't do this job without them. The very fact that we have volunteers filling this need in the community, in the child welfare system, it's, it's a perfect match because only those that will step up and go through that amount of training and commit to a very difficult job, that's exactly who we need speaking for the best interest of children. And I, I do want to give you more time to talk about Voices for Children, but how do you find those volunteers? <laughs> I mean, how do you find those key resources, you know, that, that have that kind of ability to create that kind of value for the community and not want the big awards or the big paychecks or whatever? How do you find them? Sure. A lot of it is, you know, volunteers hear about or people in the community hear about the child welfare system either on the news or through other people that, that work in the system or they're frustrated with not having any power. So we have a lot of people who are from the education system or formerly from the legal system or they went through it themselves. Somehow most of them have been touched by something about the system or have felt powerless. And so uh, our volunteers are, we have a wide range of ages. You know, you have to be 21 to be a CASA volunteer, and, and we have some CASA volunteers who are in their 80s. You don't have to have the experience of being in the system yourself or have being, being a social worker. We have people who want to make a difference that are engineers, and they didn't, what they, how they learned about CASA is, is, is doing their research to see well, how can I make a difference in a system where we may seem fairly powerless as a community member. You know, I don't want to just be a mentor. The value that people in the community, when they're searching for a way to donate their time that really makes a difference and has a high impact, that's being a CASA volunteer. For donors, when they look at how our operation is, is run, what, where can they get the most value for their money. For us, we're providing a one-on-one -on -one experience where one volunteer is assigned to every one case or one child or sibling group, and that volunteer is focused, laser-focused, on this family in this one situation where typically a CPS worker has, you know, 30 cases or, or so. That one-on-one -on -one impact it makes a huge difference, but also the fact that our staff you know, we pay one supervisor a, a full-time salary to supervise 28 volunteers. So that ratio, it's, it's, a, it's a big bang for your buck, basically. You're making a high impact with a very slim staff, honestly. But it works because we recruit the right people, we give them great training, and our supervisors are professionals. They all value the same thing in, in having a high impact advocacy uh, in the court system, but ultimately in the community. So, In the end, how would you summarize that Voices for Children is 
both valuable and rare to the community? How would you summarize that? <laughs> That's something that we talked about. That's my elevator speech because I can talk forever about CASA. But I, I would say that we are the only people who do what we do. We're the only advocates that are advocating in every aspect of a child's life, and we're always doing it. So we're appointed to all of the children involved in the system in this area, and we will continue to do that. And if there were not Voices for Children volunteers, what would happen? That's a very scary thought, knowing the reality of what children have to, who've already been through trauma of abuse, neglect. The system is not built to nurture children. They have to go through so much, and oftentimes we don't see it. To not have a cost of volunteer, I argue, is our system and, and our community really failing these children. Okay, so that's how Voices for Children is valuable and rare. How about you? How are you valuable and rare? <laughs> I don't like to talk about myself. <laughs> How am I valuable and rare? I think valuable, I'm confident in, in my ability to do just about anything. I am a sincere person. You know basically where I stand. I am strategic. I'm opportunistic. But it's all for the right reasons. My heart and my mind are in a right place, and I can I can get wherever I need to or want to be, and that's always in a good place. So I think it's it's rare to have the ability to, to be so focused on doing the right thing and aware of other people and how my life impacts and what I do, the decisions I make. I'm constantly aware of, of how that impacts other people, whether it's my own children, my family, my employees, my board, I'm, I'm always evaluating, just like you said about, you know, how you use it. It's, it's kind of every, it's ingrained in everything I do that I'm aware of, of the impact of, of my actions on everything. Unfortunately, I do think that's kind of rare. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have empirical data on that, but I think okay. you're right. <laughs> so it's, it's valuable to me that I have a, I have the freedom to, to be strategic and, and I'm not, but I also want checks and balances in my life. And that's usually been on me to do. And, uh, you know, I've made plenty of mistakes. I've made, um, and I'll continue to make mistakes, but. That's called being human. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the value of, of being that aware is, is, is great. It's a great responsibility. How has any concept of your, your value and your rareness or voices for children value and rareness and all that, has, has there been any changing over time in that regard? Definitely. I would say that I have always been a fairly reserved person. I'm a watcher even from a very young age. I'm always absorbing what's going on around me. And the more I've had to push myself to to interact with others, I would say I'm kind of a, an introverted person, and I've taught myself to be extroverted because connecting with people is is very needed. 
but the awareness, you know, it, it came with a lot of education. The more that I learned about social problems, um, the more I studied about communication. You know, I have a master's in journalism, but it's all about storytelling and, and the importance of, of engaging your audience and, and being strategic about how you communicate what your needs are, which I'm not good at. So I went and went to school for it. So that capacity to, to learn and expand, and, and it, that's another very valuable attribute is to constantly be learning. To be willing to learn. To willing, yes, willing <laughs> to learn has been a huge benefit to me. So as I, I have matured and seen mistakes and, and really have a larger worldview, you know, I think it's very important to, to be very diverse in your knowledge and not be too focused on, on one thing. It just expands your life to know about all kinds of things. I'm very curious. And I would also say it makes you more likely to spot eroding factors yes. <laughs> and think about enabling factors and all of that. Yeah, I think seeking out training, new ways of doing things, always evaluating what you're doing, it's really, really important. And I think, you know, maybe it comes with age, but I'm not that old yet. The value of being self-aware. Anything else you would like anyone listening to this podcast to know about Voices for Children or your plans and hopes for the future? My plan is, is to serve every child who needs one, who needs an advocate, and, and, and do it very well and treat people well, the staff, our stakeholders, other, other um, you know, our judges, our attorneys. We, I just want to be the gold star CASA program. CASA is already, you know, great has a great reputation and credibility, and I just want to make sure that that stays solid and remains solid and uh, an organization that everyone can count on to be there. So if someone listening wants to know how to get in touch with Voices for Children, maybe it's interested in being a volunteer or a donor or whatever, how would that happen? Sure. So our office um, it is always open. I like to say, you know, to everybody, my doors is open. But we we have a website, Voices for Children. It's vfcbrazos.org, VFC as in Voices for Children, uh, brazos.org. They can call our office at 979-822-9700. And our contact information, my email is, is actually on our website as well if they'd like to contact me via email. Well, I actually hope that maybe somebody listening to this at some point in the future will go, I want to talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. I look forward to, to seeing, you know, what kind of opportunities present themselves just by, you know, reaching out and, and learning new things. And I'm sure that we'll probably be in touch a little bit as uh, you think about maybe interacting with your board more and things like that and I'm happy to do that. Great. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I think it's a great opportunity um, for me and it will really benefit our program. Wow, David, that was a great conversation with AJ. You got into a, a lot of different things. Yeah, that went in some interesting directions at times. And, and she has a lot of things to think about in terms of creating value for people and also the be real application for herself, which I think is a really critical issue for her. You know, one of the things she said that I think struck both of us, I, I, as I was listening in the background and, and I could kind of see your reaction, was you asked her about how she and, and how Voices for Children are creating value and her reaction or her, her response, I should say, was 
pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, those critical intangible resources that she was talking about, they can be so important for many not-for-profits. You know, you're dealing with these communities and courts and children and families and having that trust, having that reputation, having that intangible relationship with all of those kinds of stakeholders is absolutely critical to doing what you need to do. You know, the good stewardship of resources, she she referenced that, the fact that Voices for Children has a really good value proposition in terms of the financial use of the, how they use those resources and being good stewards in that way. And, and you talked about the intangible. We talk about intangibles a lot, both in the not-for-profit world and, and in the for-profit world, and how it's often the intangibles that make an organization or an individual rare. Yes. Your distinctive competencies often can contain intangible aspects that you don't necessarily realize. You're focused, you know, I'm using you in a very generic sense here, but, you know, you're focused on on your product and what your product does or your service and what your service does. But the reality is we live in a social context and the way that we relate to people and people relate to us and the things that come out of that are a part of your product or a part of your service. And those relationships can be such a critical part of developing a distinctive competency. And certainly, you know, AJ pointing out just right away how important integrity and trust and that sincerity, she spoke a lot about how sincerely she is committed to this mission. And those qualities, they come from human beings. They don't they don't come from an organization. They come from the human beings within the organization, which leads me to AJ. Oh, she's got such a critical role with Voices for Children at this point because the staff is so small, because she is the focal point for so much of the contact with the various stakeholders and her board. You know, I'm, I'm glad that since we started talking to her through a V-Real framework that she is beginning to realize how critical she is to value creation for the organization, but also how critical she as a person is. And, you know, just a contextual note for our listeners, I think this is relevant. AJ's pretty new to Voices for Children. She's been in the leadership role as executive director for less than a year. She's charged with setting forth some strategy to take them to serve more counties in their region. So they're growing their reach and their impact in by expanding where they're operating, but also in the ways that they're operating. So she has this strategic position really important to the organization. And I think VRIL's coming in at a really good time for her to be able to communicate with her board. The fact that she's beginning to realize that she needs enabling factors around her to support her, not just the organization, but AJ as a person so that she can continue to create the value that she needs to create so that the Voices for Children can create the value it needs to create. I mean, I think that's a, that's a really key thing for her right now. It is, and I think we can we can talk to our audience and say, you know what, that's probably true for you too. The people who are out there are listening. You're, you maybe you're listening in because you're also either considering starting, you're already running a not-for-profit organization, and and you want some insights into into how to do that. And maybe Vroll is useful to you. And and I guess I would encourage you to think about value and rareness and your role and how you are valuable and rare and how you allow others to enable you to continue to be that way. The other thing that. I'm glad AJ is thinking very carefully about right now is how V-Real can 
potentially help her communicate with her board. If she can have board members who have that vocabulary and also have that framework in mind, it can make communication happen faster and better. It can. And I think that's one of the things I've always loved about about V-Real, how simple it is. Value, rareness, eroding factors, enabling factors, longevity, with just a little bit of explanation. I think people get it. And so all of a sudden you have just some common vocabulary. And especially in a not-for-profit situation, the board of directors, they're coming from all different walks of life. They don't necessarily have a common professional background. And being able to use that framework to help facilitate communication and understanding and build a common vision and goal set I think will be really powerful. Good conversation today. Glad we had it. Really good. I look forward to continuing to work with them too. Well, that's another podcast for Thinking Beyond. And until we have another conversation with a strategic thinker on another podcast, just keep thinking, folks.